Welcome to another edition of the Take Charge Basketball Podcast, where we take charge of our own thoughts, we talk about a league that takes charge of social issues off the court, and we update you on the lead charge takers around the NBA. I'm Ken Colomb, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike DiMartino. What's going on, Ken? we got a great episode, right in the heat of the uh, playoffs, a lot of good stuff going on, so excited to get started. Yeah, and make sure to follow us on Twitter. You can follow me personally at at Ken Colomb. Yep, and you can follow me at MDMartino203. And then make sure to also check out our podcast Twitter page, at TakeChargeBball, for up-to-date you know, updates. Right. Uh, I, I usually tweet out during games or, yep. or the games that I'm watching, so you don't have to wait a week to get podcasts <laughs> and, and kind of our thoughts. Right. Um, I'm... I apologize. It's it's getting towards final season, uh, so we've been studying, so we haven't been able to to do too much content podcasts, yeah. especially with the playoffs. So, but I think we're at a good point here. We kind of have an idea of what's going to go around, right. go on in the second round. But yeah, make make sure to still follow us on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, review. We would love you dearly if you did that. Um, and I guess something that I have forgotten about sometimes, and we need to be more consistent. Let's let's start off with the playoff charge leaders. Of course, uh, we have one, at number one we have Kyle Korver. At two, all, all these people are all tied with three, so we'll just list them: uh, Dario Saric, Kelly Oubre Jr., Kevin Love, and Kyle Lowry. Of course, Kelly Oubre won't have a chance to take home the crown <laughs> right yeah his his playoffs are done but uh kyle corver dario sarge kevin love and, and kyle lowry are still alive in the playoffs although some most of those barely so yeah what do we uh think of that list lowry was the uh season leader i believe right? yeah he's been he's season. always he's always been up there and um i think kyle corver is an interesting one because he's not really known as a uh, primarily defensive guy or a guy who likes to just you know, put his body on the line, but right. It, that's part of the uh, Cavaliers' success right now. Guys like him, role players, stepping up. You know, taking on bigger roles, doing things out of their comfort zone, and uh, that's yeah. why they're playing so well right now. Yeah, I'll t- I'll, we'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about the Cleveland Pacers matchup. Mm-hmm. But what the what the Cavaliers are doing is they're trapping ball screens, especially in that Pacers right. uh, that Pacers game or the Pacers series. Right. And and Kyle Korver was a help side defender on a lot of those. Yeah. So guys not used to getting the ball and in a hectic situation, just barreling into people. But um. All right, let's let's go on to some recent NBA news. The coaching carousel continues. Uh, Mike Budenholzer has now left the Hawks, which we we kind of predicted a little bit. Or we yeah. we saw some some disagreement, or they just both sides just not seeing eye to eye. Yeah, I think it's more of just they're heading in two different directions. I think like Hawks are really trying to go into full rebuild mode. Usually, when you do that, you want to start over the new coach too. Budenholzer. Right. Pretty much when Budenholzer first came there, the whole core of guys is gone. So right. yeah, just two, just two different directions. I'm sure I'm sure Budenholzer will get picked up somewhere. I'm sure he'll get another head coaching gig this summer. Um, yeah, I I kind of like him for that Bucks job. I I think I think he's the right fit for the Bucks job too. I think that's the most in demand job. Right. Um, this summer just because the talent that's there. Um, 
But yeah, they're gonna have a lot of good options. The Bucks, head coach, and then also with the Bucks, I know you were telling me, um, and I think Woj actually reported this as well, that uh, Becky Hammond is is interviewing for the Bucks. Yep, and that's of course a milestone, the first female coach right. to ever interview for a head coaching position, um, regardless of gender. Becky Hammond is a great coach, and any yeah, team would be lucky to have her. She's extremely well respected too. It's you. Sometimes you'd think there'd be like a kind of a gender divide, but the every every one of her players they you would talk to every any one of them, and they all um have a lot of respect for her um, as a basketball mind personality wise. She a couple of seasons ago, I don't know if she did this summer, but she would coach the um first summer league team. Yeah, and they I don't know if it was two or three years ago they won the championship, and all the guys were raving about her. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure if she'll get this job particularly, but um. I'm sure somewhere down the line she'll get a head coaching gig. Yeah, and and two coaches that did get hired, David Fisdale with the Knicks, was a great hire as well as the Suns. Uh, Igor Kokoskov was also a really great hire. Two, I mean, Fizz is known around the league, but two names that aren't like are big big names, mm-hmm. but really solid hires, and it's good to see, uh, especially Igor Kokoskov to get his first job in in the NBA as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, he was with with Utah this past season and is still, still with Utah. And uh, hopefully the Suns will be getting Luka Doncic, who he coached. Yeah, I think that's the um, that's what everyone's pointing to. That's the connection there. They're saying, all right, this might be kind of a clue to where the, um, the direction of the Suns, where they're trying to go. So right. um, we'll see how the draft plays out. But uh, yeah, Fizdale I think is a great hire for the Knicks. Like we were talking about this earlier, the Knicks really just needed to hire the best coach out there. Right. And I think for them, I think Fizdale was the best coach available. Um, the Knicks, they got some talent there. Porzingis, once he gets healthy um, to build around, I think they just really need a good coach to kind of just, you know, bring in some new schemes. The, the triangle with Phil Jackson and all those guys kind of was a failed experiment. So, um, yeah, hopefully the Knicks, uh, hopefully it works out. Well, yeah, it's it's brand new management with uh, with Phil Jackson gone, and yep. Hornacek was a Phil Jackson yeah, hire. So, right. you kind of saw him leaving. We we talked about that a, a few episodes ago, and then also we'll just touch this really quick. Billy Donovan supposed to return next season. That's yeah. what Sam Presti has said. And and that's something you expect. the The problems there have not really been too much Billy Donovan's fault. I mean, maybe they could have a little bit more motion on their offense, but with those types of players, he's got a lot of ISO guys right. and guys that have been effective in the past using isolation plays. Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't think a lot of their struggles were on the coaching staff. Billy Donovan's been a successful coach at any level he's been at right. um, for years. I think it's more just the the combination of players they got there right now. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it works out for him. I mean, I don't know if next season, if they don't, if they have this kind of success next season, he might be a little more on the hot seat. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we'll see how that works out as well. We'll go through some quick player news real quickly. That was redundant. Um, but anyways, <laughs> Corey Joseph picks up his player option. Jamal Crawford has declined his player option. And then Wesley Matthews has picked up his $18.6 million player option, which he would not Naturally, get. Yeah, who would turn that down? <laughs> which he definitely would not be getting if he went onto the open market this right. offseason, let alone 
any other offseason uh, in the future yeah. because he has seemed to not be able to recover from that Achilles injury, which has been so detrimental to, to so many players' careers over yeah. the years. It's too bad to see. I mean, of course he's going to pick up that player option. He was a good young player in Portland. Dallas threw a lot of money at him. He's just been a great player, just, just struggling with injuries. Um, right. Yeah, it's crazy to think the, the playoffs aren't even over yet. You got players already planning their futures for next season. Coaches are getting hired. Um, such a quick turnaround in the NBA. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. All right, so let's kind of get to our, our playoff content here. Just for base knowledge, for round, uh, for round one, we're just going to go recap the series, and then we'll go into the second round. All of our net rating metrics that we're using are per 100, using like the offensive rating per 100 possessions, the defensive mm-hmm. rating per 100 possessions, so that the net rating is the difference between those um, for, for each series. Right. All right, so the, the first series will go Western Conference. Uh, Houston, no, the number one seed, beats Minnesota, the number eight seed, four to one. And then Houston had a net rating of 8.2 in that series. Yeah, um, a little lopsided of a series. Houston kind of controlled throughout. Um, Minnesota was able to grab one game in there, but um, their star players really kind of struggled throughout the series. Carl Anthony Towns um, was well publicized, his struggles. Um, then Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins, they only combined for 47 points per game, respectively, between the three of them. Supposed to be the big three. But um, even James Harden at times struggled in this series a little bit, a couple games. But um, Houston was too solid, and and they, they pulled out the the 4-1 to one victory over Minnesota in round one. Yeah, I mean, I think you might have expected them to do a little bit better. Um, yeah. The yeah the stat that we had down with Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins, and Carl Anthony Towns only averaging forty seven points per game between those three, that's definitely like not what you want from your from your star yeah. guys. Derrick Rose did all right. He had fourteen yeah, points per game. I think he was a surprise. Yeah, he was the real um, bright spot for for Minnesota in the series. But some people were complaining though because you know Derrick Rose was coming off the bench getting more shots than. Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns sometimes, so yeah, I don't know if that's the best strategy to win. But pers- um, for him as a player, Derrick Rose, I think this postseason helped him out a lot because he kind of proved that he could still play and be valuable to a team. Maybe is that like backup point guard, uh, providing a spark off the bench. So happy for him, and I I know a lot of people are cheering for him. Yeah, it was. I'm I'm a Derrick Rose fan. It was a small sample size, and I wasn't too. It, he wasn't too efficient. Right. But at the same time, it was definitely it, it couldn't have hurt him going forward, and especially since he's reunited with Thibodeau, yeah, which is his guy from yeah. from the Chicago days. Uh, but James Harden, he did struggle a few games. He he ended up the series uh, averaging twenty nine points per game, five rebounds, seven assists. Yeah, and then Chris Paul also added nineteen points, four rebounds, six point six assists. So those two really contributed well. And again, we, I think we mentioned this in our first playoff preview that James Harden and Chris Paul really do play off each other when when one's out and the other's in right yeah I mean kind of just shows how good James Harden is saying he struggled a couple games but still averaged 29 points a game for the series so um yeah you let's move on to um the other one of the other Western Conference first round matchups Utah and Oklahoma City uh Utah was the five seed Oklahoma City was the four seed and uh Utah won four games to two yeah, uh, which was a, which was a little bit of a surprise. 
Um, I think Utah overall is a little better of a unit, a little more uh, well-coached, but man, like Donovan Mitchell really stepped up, um, went toe-to-toe with Paul George, Russell Westbrook. These guys were legit NBA superstars, and he did not back down at all, um, and even at, at times really outplayed them. Um, so yeah, what do you think? Uh, I thought it was interesting. I mean, looking at the, the net rating for Utah, Utah was plus 5.4. And and they were plus twelve at home. Mm-hmm. That that home crowd in Utah, especially with the altitude up there as well, it's been right. well documented. It's it's a really hard place to play. Yeah. So OKC really did struggle on the road in that matchup. And I, and I actually did have Utah winning that that series. Yeah, I think yeah you picked Utah. I think I picked Oklahoma City in seven. Right. When we did our predictions, which I wouldn't argue with either. Yeah. It it was really close, but like you said, Donovan Mitchell really outplayed Russ and and Paul George. Yeah, we got the stats here. Donovan Mitchell averaged twenty eight points a game, seven rebounds, three assists for the series. Well, Russell Westbrook, reigning MVP, averaged twenty nine points, ten rebounds, seven and a half assists, but shot only forty percent from the field. And another stat. I don't know. This kind of annoys me a little bit, but Paul George, they start calling him playoff P like two yeah, games in and then scores, scores five points in the uh, in game seven. Yeah. Or game six. There will be game. no more mention of playoff yeah. P in this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think really the big storyline coming out of this series is going to be what Oklahoma City is going to do in the offseason because um, they put all these pieces together – Hopefully, um, to make a, a run for the Western Conference title, um, to compete with Golden State, but obviously that did not work out. There's rumors now that they're trying to move Melo, and there's also rumors that Paul George has already made up his mind going to the Lakers. I saw some some things. You know how people like read so deep into it. Supposedly he pulled his daughter out of school in Oklahoma City already, and there was his girlfriend posted a uh, Instagram story of her her buying a house in L.A. So. Um, yeah. we'll see how that plays out come come the summertime. That's that's definitely something to look at. I'm not sure how much we want to read into that. Right. But I think the big thing is is if you're gonna keep Melo, you really have to try to change his mindset. But yeah. it looks like he's pretty pretty set on not coming off the bench. Yeah, he didn't come out and, and say that. So. If if you look at his playoff numbers, it, they were pretty bad. Um eleven points per game in the playoffs on 37.5% from the field and 21.4% from behind the arc, which is not good. His regular season numbers were a little bit better, but, I mean, people do expect Melo, or people have put Melo in this efficient shooting light this whole season. It's like, oh, why isn't he shooting better? If you look at his career numbers, Melo has not been a... Uh, an efficient shooter he's a volume, a volume shooter, shooter and a volume right. scorer so i i never really expected Melo to be efficient in his time in in oklahoma city i thought he maybe he would knock down a little bit more wide open threes mm-hmm. but i think he really needs to find a role within the team and and maybe consider coming off the bench next right. season if if paul george stays and if they want to be successful yeah i think he really needs to um kind of accept a little small of a role, maybe not as much isolation, like you said. Um, he really just needs to be able to knock down those catch and shoot threes consistently. Because especially, think about in the league, there's always there's always a spot on a team for a shooter. Right. That's how guys extend their careers. That's how Ray Allen extended his career. That's how why Steph Curry is going to play another ten years, fifteen years in the league because he could just purely towards the end of his career they could turn him into a shooter. And I think that's a role. Um, Carmelo really needs to um, kind of embrace now if he really wants to make an impact 
and extend his career. But also think about um, he's been removed for the playoffs for so long. I, I can't remember the last time the Knicks made it. It was like 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. You think he comes to a team now that's loaded with talent in Oklahoma City. You think he'd be he'd be itching at this opportunity to get in the playoffs again and um, make an impact, especially because he's at the end of his career, now, towards the end of his career now. Um, I I think he'd be starving for a championship. You th- you'd think he'd bring more than 11 points per game to the table, but who knows? And, um, yeah, we'll see um, what happens between the relationship with Oklahoma City and, and Carmelo uh, this summer. What yeah. happens with that? Yeah, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see. I'll definitely be looking on Twitter and see if there's any Woj bombs dropping. Right. <laughs> Let's move on to the 6-3 sweep where New Orleans Pelicans, the sixth seed, swept the third seed, the Portland Trailblazers, in a series that I got completely wrong. And I think everyone probably got it wrong. And I, I thought maybe Portland would get one. I thought maybe they would get two <laughs> or Portland three. Portland would win. <laughs> um, after, after the 2-0 series lead that that new orleans got when they stole two games on the road um but yeah new orleans pelicans they had the highest offensive rating in the league during the first round Mm -hmm. at at 114.7 per 100 with a net rating of of 10.4 and there were many problems for portland but it seemed like they just couldn't find their shot from deep only shooting 33.3 percent from three which isn't bad but it it wasn't like what they were shooting during the regular season, right. and and they really did not get the contribution from the stars that they they're used to. Yeah. Um, bottom line is you're not going to win, especially in a league now that's so focused heavily on three point shooting. Um, Dame and CJ just did not score effectively. Guys who are known as being shot makers, um, and they couldn't pull it out. But New Orleans. I think New Orleans is the bigger story because they're fantastic on the defensive end and offensive end. Guys like Rajon Rondo had a great series. Drew Holiday had a great series. Both guys that have stepped up. Rajon Rondo's really kind of uh, found a home here in New Orleans after bouncing around from Sacramento, Chicago, which didn't really work out. And then, of course, Anthony Davis um, holding down the paint. But I was I was genuinely shocked by this because I throughout the season, I thought uh, Portland was a sleeper. Um, they overachieved a little bit, getting getting the third seed, and uh, once come come around playoff time, they really just yeah, like you said, the bottom line just just couldn't make shots. They couldn't score. Um, right. I mean, I I I really didn't think CJ played bad. I thought CJ played really well. Yeah, actually, they, they each had they each had a couple good games. Um, but I mean, you look yeah. through throughout the season, CJ he averaged twenty five points, two rebounds, three and a half assists. He was fairly efficient. I mean, he was very efficient, fifty two percent from the field and forty two from behind the arc. Right. But I think the big story with the with the Trailblazers is Lillard was unusually bad, and. I mean, looking at his numbers, 18 and a half points, 4.5 rebounds, and 5 assists with 4 turnovers, only on 35% from the field, and right. 30% from behind the 3. I mean, that's that's the lowest point total he's had and highest turnover total of, of his playoff career. Yeah, a guy who was an MVP candidate during the season, you guys are, I mean, maybe not talking about him winning, but definitely he was in the conversation uh, purely based off how well um, Portland played during the season, but I think it was really the defense by a guy like Drew Holiday, who um, has really emerged as like all NBA defensive type of guy. Um, and there were some crazy stats that said like 
when he was when he was guarding Dame, he Dame literally just couldn't score on him. Um, and I think that's a testament to him. He's playing great right now in New Orleans. They're battling Golden State in the second round right now. Um, so yeah, disappointing, disappointing for Portland, but um, New Orleans definitely happy for them. Alvin Gentry, another guy who's Coach of the Year candidate, um, has brought this Pelicans team to the playoffs, and um, he's he's really brought all these guys together. Um, he's got a great system going on. Um, so yeah, we'll see how they do. But uh, you got anything else to say about this series? Um, yeah, I think Nikola Mirotic was a surprise. Mm-hmm. He he played really well. Um, right, yeah, he shot the ball really well from the I mean, for 57% field goal percentage, 46 from beyond the arc. And then he also had a plus-minus rating of plus 14.5, which was the highest in the series. I think the coming out of this, the fallout for, for the Trailblazers is, is what are they going to do? Yeah. Whether they're going to trade one of CJ or Damian or hire a new coach, um, yeah. Neil Alsley, their their director of player personnel and GM has been, been under fire. Um, I, I am a big fan of Neil and especially the way he develops guys. Right. Cause they don't, they're the only team in the league that doesn't have a direct, um, D league affiliate. Right. Yeah. They don't, yeah. they don't have a G league team. G league. Yeah. Um, and the, he had a interview with, with Woj, uh, on the Woj pod the, uh, about a month ago where, one of the reasons why they don't have a G League team is because they want to develop guys yeah, in house, right. and they're really proud of of how their player development has gone. Right. Uh, but going going back to New Orleans real quick though, I talked about Nikola Mirotic. I think it was a great um, mid season acquisition because going into the season, the real knock against um, New Orleans was they didn't really have any uh, real true like perimeter shooters. Um, you had Boogie Cousins and Anthony Davis, two superstars in the paint, but then. You got Rondo, who's pretty much a, a non-factor shooting the three. Um, Drew Holiday is a um, capable shooter, but not known as a guy who's a uh, a three-point sniper. And then off the bench, you bring in Etwan Moore, yeah. Solomon Hill, all guys that, that could shoot the three, but are not known as as, as three-point shooters. Well, a guy like Mirotic is is really known as a three-point shooter. So I think he was a great acquisition mid-season. Yeah, and look, the last Western Conference series, it was a the two seed Golden State Warriors with a gentleman sweep of number seven San Antonio Spurs. They, like I said, gentleman sweep four to one. It, it could have been a sweep, but the Spurs are just too prideful to to have gotten swept, and, yeah. and they they eked out a win. There, like, a, there's not too much to say. Golden State with a net rating of of ten point nine. Uh, Spurs were just overmatched. Yeah, it seemed with with their aging roster, and also it didn't help. All the off the court stuff going on right, surrounding with that team. Popovich wife passing mm-hmm. away. He wasn't able to coach. And then Kawhi's whole situation. Um, it was just kind of just a bad mix of uh, things going on for San Antonio. Um, I think even at full health um, and with Coach Popovich there, I, I still think they would have lost. But um, yeah, yeah, they were just totally outmatched, like you said. It was it was unspursian season yeah. for the Spurs. Very much and, so, and and the Warriors didn't have Steph most of the se- most of the series. Didn't have him all the series. Was, I sorry, yeah, 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 sorry, all the series. Right. And he, I don't think they had any. Even if they had won a few more games, I don't think the the Warriors would have brought him back. They were pretty confident that they were going to win that, and, right. and they'll bring him back for the uh, second round matchup against the Pelicans, yep. which we'll talk about a little bit later. Right. 
So yeah, let's um, keep moving on to these uh, rest of these first round matchups in the Eastern Conference. Uh, first one, Toronto Raptors, the one seed. They defeated the number eight seed Washington Wizards four games to two. Um, this was uh, Washington put up a little bit of a fight um, yeah. in a couple games there. It wasn't totally lopsided um, for a one versus eight matchup. Toronto had a net rating of three point five, um, but um, you know Washington hung in there for a couple games. John Wall played really well. Brad Beal, of course, um, they're two star. There's two stars. Um, but Toronto, they're super good defensively. Um, they've been doing what they did all season, and um, yeah, they came out with the the, the win in the series. Right. Look, looking at Wall and Beal, they they combined for nearly fifty points, forty nine point two, and that's almost half the team's points throughout the series. And the only other players that had double digits, and this was barely double digits mm-hmm. in scoring, were Mike Scott and and Porter Jr. Yeah, Mike Scott. I would have thought Morris maybe would have provided a little bit more right. of an edge. Gortat maybe, but there seems to be some some beef going on between Gortat and and John Wall. Like, yeah, I feel like you always see them, you know, yapping at each other on the bench and off the court. Um, yeah, I don't really know what's what's to make of that. But um, speaking on John Wall, though, I I think this was a good sign for him. He he really had a pretty good season, uh, pretty good series. Um, but overall, he had a pretty down down season. Um, I, I believe he only averaged about 17, 18 points a game this season. Um, but um, well, he, this he was, was definitely definitely a good sign because he, he played very well. He was dealing with uh, a knee injury right. most of the season. Right. And he actually, his scoring numbers were fine for the playoffs, but he wasn't really efficient for, for this season. Uh, yeah, in six games, he only shot 19% from the three. And then forty four from the field, right? The forty four isn't isn't bad, but the nineteen from three that's something you really want to see improve. He's never yeah. been a great three point yeah, shooter, exactly. But nineteen percent that's you got to shoot better than that if you want to be effective and have people respect you from from outside. Right. I think, like we mentioned with a, a few teams earlier, Washington's another uh, interesting team to uh, check out going in this off season. I feel like they're they're a little similar to. Um, to Portland in the way that you know they got two they got a star backcourt um I mean Portland overachieved a little this year but Washington definitely underachieved people were talking about Washington possibly um the beginning of the season possibly being the one seed yeah um based off how well they did last year um I believe they lost to Boston in the second round last year um so yeah I don't I don't really know exactly what happened this year uh fell off a little bit some other teams made some leaps but definitely, definitely going to be interesting to see what um, what happens there if they make any moves, uh, any substantial moves or not this summer. Yeah, I'd have to look at their cap space to kind of see what they have in terms of free agency. Yeah, and I haven't quite looked at their roster breakdown right. in terms of whose whose contracts are expiring. But they've never really been a big free agent destination. So yeah, but they got they got two stars there that makes it kind of attractive if someone wants to come play there. But I just don't think they have the. There's the the wall and Gortat beef or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Uh, I think it's just a working relationship. You don't have to love your teammate. Right. You just have to kind of work together and know that you're working for the greater good. But it just seems like they're not all, all on the same page either. Yeah. So we'll see what, what happens. And I'm sure we'll be talking about them in our upcoming podcast, looking at the offseason moves. Yeah. And also on the Toronto side, DeMar DeRozan really stepped up. 
he shot 27 sorry he scored 27 points per game three rebounds five assists was fairly efficient 43.6 percent from the field and for him or very efficient 38.5 percent yeah from three which is is great to see Demar being able to step out and hit the three which has kind of been the knock against him yeah we, we talked about that in an earlier episode I believe um how how much better he's gotten over the years developing into a a definitely reliable three-point shooter adding that to his arsenal which has uh helped helped him expand his game and helped um help toronto um make the leap and get the one seat this year um so yeah let's check out this next you got anything else to say about this series or no no i think it, i think we can talk about what might be one of the most interesting first round yeah, series to talk about definitely. uh that would be the four seed cleveland beating the fifth seed indiana uh, they've won seven games, so they won four to three. And right here in our notes, it says Ken will first apologize for doubting LeBron in the slightest, and and that is what I'll Me do. Me too. <laughs> uh, I I do have to, LeBron LeBron fans. I've never hated on LeBron, but I I didn't think they were gonna win. I I thought I know in our original predictions I had Cleveland maybe making it to the to the finals, but it really looked like Did in the you middle. Did you have Indiana them? No, not not when we did our not when we did our predictions. Okay, but late like later on in the middle of the series, I I was like I don't know if LeBron yeah. and, and company can pull it out, but they did. Uh, Cleveland actually ended up having a negative net rating of four point four, right, which is crazy. But really, LeBron just took over, and and we'll talk about him a little bit later. Yeah, in in his series with Toronto and his playoff numbers, but that's basically LeBron took over. Yeah, I think. Um LeBron this postseason averaging 35 points a game on about 55% shooting from the field, which we discussed earlier. Um, pretty good efficiency, but actually number one in the playoffs in efficiency. Um, and he's really just taken over. And I think um, with the series right now with Toronto, with them uh, leading 3-0, oh, mm-hmm. excuse me, um, I think it's just adding to his case, like, you can never you can never bet against a LeBron led team no matter who's there, who is supporting cast is. Cause I was I was kinda knocking this supporting cast. I'm like, hey, if LeBron wasn't on this team, like they'd be pretty bad. Yeah. They'd be probably bottom five in the league. Right. But he's yeah. he's really carrying them, even with all the roster turnover. And it's um like always, we're witnessing greatness. So um but like you mentioned earlier earlier, um Cleveland really did a great job with their defensive rotations and kind of um, trapping Oladipo. He struggled a little bit, um, didn't put up the same type of numbers he did. During the regular season, he did score 23 points a g- points per game in the series, five rebounds, four assists, on 48% field goal percentage, 37 per- from three, which is pretty good, but he had some games that he definitely struggled in there. Um, you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I would I – would- Say Victor Oladipo actually played really well. Um, he had a couple games they, in there, though, when he had, like, 16 points or something. Yeah, I mean, I think, especially the first game, it was after game one, they started trapping him. And I, I have some... I'll probably do a breakdown of that at some point. Mm-hmm. I have some footage of that from, from the game that I'll, that I'll break down. Something I really noticed where they would have whoever was guarding Oladipo and the screener trap Oladipo, and then they'd have Kyle Korver rotate from the weak side to get the high post, which most of the time was Sabonis. And I think on two or three possessions, Korver got a steal or forced Sabonis to make a pass he didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And on the third one, they called a foul. 
that wasn't a foul and, and should have been a strip anyways. So I thought that was a very underrated coaching move by, by Ty Lue. Yeah, I think a lot of this is a, a testament to his coaching. His, um, he made adjustments for this series. Um, and I think he, he's a little underrated. Sometimes people don't give Ty Lue enough credit. They say, oh, LeBron's the real coach of this team, blah, blah, blah. But um, they definitely did a great job adjusting for this series and, and focusing on the personnel. And um, they they squeaked out the win in seven games. Yeah, that that was a really fun series to watch. I I've enjoyed watching the Pacers all season. Yeah, I, I've been able to watch them using all the Reddit streams, and it's been it's been fun watching them all season. And they really they didn't. Of course, they did stuff special. You got to be a special team to make it into playoffs and find some kind of success. But they what they really did is they just played basketball. There was yeah. no gimmicks. They came out every day and just played basketball and played hard. Lance Stevenson, I would want him on my team any day. I would never want to play against him, but right. I would want him on my team any day. And they just they just played basketball and sometimes that's that's what you got to do and some of the other stuff is is just extra. Yeah, going off what you said, they like they just played really hard going into the season they especially after the Paul George trade um People were ripping that trade, saying, oh, they didn't get enough in return back with Oladipo and Sabonis. Um, people were picking them as a early lottery team. But, I mean, if you look at them on paper, you say, oh, this team's they're not a playoff team. But, hey, they, they took Cleveland to seven games. And uh, you got to give credit to Nate McMillan. He did a great job. Um, and the rest of the coaching staff in Indiana, um, they did a great job this season. Definitely overachieved. And, um Definitely, definitely a great season for them. I would not hang their head. Hang it if I was any one of those players. I would not hang my head. So, um, yeah, shout out to Indiana. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the last two series in the first round. Uh, number three, Philadelphia beats number six, Miami, in five games. They won four to one. Philadelphia had a net rating of eight. There's not really too much to say about these series. You don't. We don't have to go too far into it. Right. It was definitely a tough, like, fought series. It, it was not as easy as that four one suggests, just because how physical Miami played. They they came to battle, but I think something to highlight. Of course, Ben Simmons played really well. Dario Sarge played really well. We kind of highlighted those two guys mm-hmm. in in the first playoff podcast. But I think something I want to highlight is Jay, Jay Reddick's postseason performance. Yep. And especially comparatively to his time with the Clippers in Orlando right. for a little bit too. Um, but yeah, he's having career playoff bests in points and field goal percentage. He's scoring about 20 points per game on 47%. And that's including 37.7 from behind the line. Right. Yeah, J.J. Redick, I think he really fits in well. He, he's done it all season with this Philadelphia team. He compliments. I, I think he's a perfect complimentary player for... Um, Simmons and Embiid, they tried to surround those guys with shooters, um, adding Marco Bellinelli on later in the season, um, especially with, with Simmons' lack of three-point shot. Um, they really need to surround those two guys with shooters to help them out, and it fits perfectly in Brett Brown's system. Like you said, the numbers shooting um, cl- career playoff best, shooting um, 47% and uh, 37% from behind the line. So um, yeah, the the thirty seven isn't 
isn't uh, career best. I think I think with Orlando, no, with the Clippers, his first playoffs with the Clippers, he shot like forty percent from okay. behind the arc. Um, but I think talking about Brett Brown and his system, he's just allowed it's just allowed him to be more productive because he's not just standing in the corner shooting threes. Right. I, I've said this a lot throughout the playoffs. Is in L.A. they just had Chris Paul and DeAndre or Chris Paul and Blake do high pick and rolls. Yeah. At the top of the key, and, and JJ the, was just standing right. in the corner waiting for. Shot. And and instead of instead of his man helping, they at the small four they had like Wesley Johnson or mm-hmm. Danny Granger, who's not an effective three point shooter. So instead of JJ's man helping, it was somebody else's man helping. Right. And the small forwards man helping, so JJ wasn't able to get those shots. Whereas here in Brett Brown's system, Ben Simmons is a tremendous playmaker. And they're running JJ off screens. They're having him set screens, which which is bringing getting him open. Right. And he's just been been phenomenal. And he's quick. He's a really quick guard. Yeah. So he's definitely using that to his advantage. Yeah, I think JJ Redick, looking at his um, kind of the trend of his career, he's really been he's really benefited by the way the league has evolved into a really three point shooting league. Um, that towards kind of at the beginning of his career with with Orlando he was just a three-point shooter off the bench guy who'll come in and you know knock down some shots then he moved on to Milwaukee and then in Los Angeles now with Philadelphia they really he's really featured more yeah. as um like running plays for him running him off screens um I think a guy like him Kyle Korver is another example guy who throughout his career was just a three-point specialist been all-star team when he was with Atlanta um Really, just shows the 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 trend of the league and the style of play that's going on. Um, so, but let's not forget about Miami though. They they were able to steal a game in Philadelphia. Um, yeah. The first two games, it looked like it was going to be a series for a while, but um, young Philadelphia team uh, took both games in Miami, um, which was which was really impressive considering their lack of playoff experience, playing on the road against a team like Miami. That's by no means a bad team. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely impressive. Yeah, yeah, nothing against Miami. They just didn't have enough firepower. Yeah. And to deal with with Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, JJ, and then Dario Saric, as, right. as well as others that, that helped contribute. Let's move on to the last first-round series. We have two – the two-seed Boston beats the seven-seed Milwaukee in seven games. And that was another exciting series. Mm-hmm. All all those games came down to the wire. Boston actually ended up, as well as Cleveland, having a net rating um, in the negatives. Boston had a negative rating of one point six, and really it was the trio of of Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, and Al Horford having have a really having a really good series. They accounted for fifty two percent of the team's points, and all of them were uh, averaging around eighteen points per game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it was really impressive um, the success they're they're having without Kyrie in there. Uh, they didn't have Marcus Smart for a little bit, but when he came back, he he provided a real spark, especially on the defensive end. But um, yeah, Milwaukee was able to make this a a, a pretty tight series. Um, they easily could have taken the series and knocked Boston out, but um, Boston, I think Brad Stevens is just. This is a perfect example of why I picked him for coach of the year. Um, just his his schemes, and he, he really just seems to get the best out of all his players. Um, guys just stepping up and, and plugged into roles like Terry Rozier, 
Um, right now, in um, the semifinals, uh, Jason Tatum's all of a sudden turning into their go-to scorer um, as a rookie. So, yeah, Brad Stevens just, man, that guy's a good coach. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like you said here, Giannis really carried the box in this series. But I think another guy, Chris Middleton, actually had a had a pretty good series. Hit some clutch shots um, in Game One, I believe. Uh, he scored scored pretty effectively. Um, so yeah, you got some numbers on Chris Middleton, I believe, right? Yeah, Chris Middleton. I've always been a huge fan of Chris Middleton. Just his versatility. He he's got a post game when he when smaller guards are getting like guarding him in the post he can pull up off one or two dribbles not super fancy with the ball but he's effective right uh and he can also shoot the three i mean just looking at his numbers in the series he averaged 25 points five rebounds three assists and he was insanely efficient uh with a 72 percent true shooting and a 71 percent effective field goal percentage yeah i i'd originally looked at his three point percentage and his field goal percentage and those were absurdly high and, and i figured uh his true shooting and his effective field goal percentage would would adequately uh, display how efficient he was this series which was phenomenal right i think um i think milwaukee fans are a little disappointed uh i think they were hoping to do a little bit a little bit better this season. There was a lot of hype going into the season um, with Giannis. Jabari Parker was starting to come back from injury. They got Eric Bledsoe halfway through the season. So there was some real hope there with them. And um, the fact that they couldn't get by a, a real depleted Boston squad, I think, was a little demoralizing. But um, definitely this offseason, it's, it's going to be a um, hot destination for head coaches. They're going to um, definitely, there's definitely gonna be a lot of coaches that want to come um, coach his team purely based off the talent that's there uh, to work with. So it'll be interesting, be interesting to see how that plays out. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see how Boston does going forward without Kyrie, with all their young guys in there. Um, so yeah, but great series, seven game series, and um, yeah, that's about it for this series. You got anything else? No, I think that wraps up our first round review i think we can move on to the second round we'll start again with the western conference uh, the the western conference semifinal matchup is the one seed houston versus the fifth seed utah uh their game their fourth game is going on as we speak we're playing in the background who do you know who's who's up right now? We could probably check that on on ESPN yes, to last see who's time winning. We checked, I believe Houston was up by about thirteen or something. But so far in three games, Houston's got had a net rating of of nine point two. Uh, their defensive rating is pretty impressive, especially since Houston's gotten really criticized for their defense in the past. But they have a defensive rating of ninety nine point six per one hundred. And that the current score right now is is Houston is up ten ninety two to eighty two, with uh, three minutes and forty seconds to play in the fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, I think I think Houston will take the series. I was surprised that um, Utah won a game in Houston, um, right. in the first place. But uh, game three, Houston, Mike D'Antoni, they obviously made a lot of adjustments. Um, Came and blew blew out the Jazz on their home court. Held Donovan Mitchell to two points, um, which was pretty big news, especially 
after Ben Simmons just had one point the day before. Right. <laughs> um, everyone's talking about that rookie of the rookie of the year race. So uh, for those two guys who have been tremendous all season to come out and pretty much be non-factors um, in the scoring column uh, was pretty big news. But um, I'm sure he'll get back on track. I just I just don't know if Utah's uh, talented enough to get by Houston. Um, and I think in the conference finals, Houston versus Golden State is the, the matchup everyone really wants to see. I know that's the matchup I want to see. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, I mean, talking about Donovan Mitchell, I think I, I was also going to mention this with, with Ben Simmons and, and their playoff performances. But people forget those two guys are are just rookies like everyone expects right. with with the way they played in the regular season and the way they've handled themselves they are thought of as as these star players already but this is their first league right. this is their first year playing nba basketball i mean mitchell is still average his average 22 sorry he has averaged um 24 points uh, throughout the the playoffs mm -hmm. despite that one bad game which i feel like it was inevitable and the right. the Rockets really shut him down, and and Mike D'Antoni drew something up to make sure uh, he was not as effective. But uh, we'll we'll talk about that too with Ben Simmons uh, a little bit later. But right. I, I agree with you. I think Houston is definitely gonna gonna win this series, and I, I had them playing in the conference finals. Yeah. So let's move on to the other Western Conference semifinal matchup: number two, Golden State Warriors versus the six seed Pelicans. Um, Golden State just took a three to one series lead earlier today. Uh, pretty convincing victory. New Orleans was able to steal one in, in um, Game Three, the first one they played at home. But um, other than that one game, Golden State's really been been controlling this series. Um, they've been rock solid. They got a net rating of eight point five. Um, Steph Curry's looking pretty solid in his return. Had a big game in his first game back. He had twenty eight points, I believe. Um, but as of right now, through three games, he's averaging 23 points and shooting 43% from three. Um, so, I mean, he's an MVP caliber player, two-time MVP. Um, adding him back to this lineup, how good they've been playing. Uh, they're, they're definitely looking really dangerous right now. And I'm, I'm sure Houston's kind of looking over their shoulder a little bit because um, they're looking real good right now. Yeah, I, I think a big thing for the, the Warriors is Draymond Green is playing close to his old self. Mm -hmm. uh, he's averaging a triple-double in this series with 14 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists, and he's actually leading the team in three-point percentage this series, shooting 46.7% from three, wow, yeah. which is really impressive. And that's that's key for Draymond. If he can be a threat from three, he doesn't need to shoot He doesn't need to shoot high 30s. Right. But if he's around the, the mid-30 range and makes himself a threat, from three, that that, that, that just makes him that much more effective in terms of facilitating and, mm -hmm. and running the offense right. when he's asked to do so. Also, Kevin Durant has just been ridiculous. Um, he's just guys that are smaller, guys that are, like Drew Holiday, who's 6'4". I mean, that's right. not small, but the, it's, he's unaffected. Right. And he, he was posting him up. They had Drew Holiday was guarding him for a good portion of the sec of sorry the first half and then in the second half they started putting Anthony Davis right. on him. That was an interesting matchup. I, I noticed that too. They tried putting Davis on him, but um, Durant would kind of just bring him out to the three point line and just kind of take him one on one. But it's crazy. Like when he when he lifts up to shoot, you notice that um, when Davis jumps up, who's practically a center, um, Durant's small forward. They're 
their their peak jump is pretty much the same height. Yeah. Which is insane. <laughs> but um yeah, Kevin Rant really had a commanding game earlier today. Um and has been has been rock solid scoring the ball. I I don't see New Orleans winning another one. Yeah, I, I don't I don't either. Going, I, going back to Golden State, the, they'll finish this off in five. I, I think and Golden State could really and Steph Curry especially could really use some extra rest and mm-hmm. go with another gentleman's sweep. Although if both Houston and Warriors win at the same rate, that, that series will, will start earlier. Yeah. So but either way, uh winning this next one could be would be really helpful for the Warriors. Mm-hmm. All right, let's look at the Eastern Conference semis. Um, it's the number one seed Toronto versus the number four seed Cleveland. These Eastern Conference series in general have played out similar. It seems like that's a common theme in, in these semifinals. Both uh, the Western Conference with the three to one, or we'll see what looks to be three to one leads, mm-hmm. and then the Eastern Conference with the three zero leads. But um, Cleveland leads Toronto three to zero, which with, is actually kind of a big surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, considering the way Cleveland, at times the way they struggled in the in the first round, I don't I don't really think anyone saw this coming. But it's um, it's pretty much been the LeBron show. Um, like you said earlier, uh, you're apologizing for doubting him. Um, he's really just put this team on his shoulders, and it, it's crazy. He, He's been in the league for so long, yet he's still doing things that are that that amazes people. He's really just um, he's still impressing. Um, he's still getting better at this point in his career, which is which is absolutely insane. Yeah, I, we we have like you mentioned, written again. Ken will apologize again for doubting LeBron. LeBron, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> but if you look at at his production in this playoff series, he's averaging the second most in his playoff career in points per game with 34.8 points per game. Uh, in 2009, he averaged 35 points. Um, and then he's has the most in his playoff career assists per game with 8.8. Yeah. Um, although, if you look at his, and I think this shows to how bad his team is playing, um, or the guys around him, right. he actually has uh, a worse plus-minus at negative 0.1 than every playoffs he's played in except his first appearance in 2006. Hmm. Which That's I th- interesting stat. which I thought was pretty interesting to look into. Yeah, but another um, big factor for Cleveland has been uh, Kevin Love really stepping up. Uh, he had a 30-point game, 30-point, 10-rebound game the other day, and he's been averaging 20 points, 13 rebounds for the series. Um, not really shooting a high percentage from three, only a 31%, but... Um, you know he, he very much a capable shooter. Um, career I think is is a little better than thirty one percent, but um, he's definitely been a bright spot uh, being that Robin to to LeBron's Batman. Yeah, I think I don't know whether it was Ty Lue started noticing this or I'm sure they they diagnosed it on film, but they started switching all the time. Uh, Toronto switching everything, so all these smaller defenders are guarding. Uh, Kevin Love, so he's just taking them in the posts yeah. and takes full advantage of that, which which has been really good to see that he's stepping up despite his lack of three point shooting this series. Although he has stepped up and made some some fairly clutch threes when right. when needed, especially when Cleveland gets kind of on a hot streak. Right. 
I think uh, also with Toronto, I, I really don't know. And <laughs> I think yeah, no one really yeah, knows yeah, what really happens when they play Cleveland. I mean, looking at their numbers shooting-wise, it's it's good. They're shooting 48% from a, as a team from the field and 37% from three. Not great, but, but really good. Right. But then you're playing LeBron James. And I think if I were to wrap this series up in, in one word, uh, Toronto versus Cleveland, it would be LeBron James. Right. I just – I think this is, it was extremely surprising that they took both games in Toronto. Um, I don't really see Toronto coming back from this. And, and it's kind of too bad because I think Toronto, they were really hoping this was a season that they would get over the hump. Right. They've been hovering around – uh, this position for the past couple of years made it the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago, mm-hmm. semifinals last year. Both times got eliminated by Cleveland. Um, they got the one seed this year, home court advantage. Um, Lowry, DeRozan's playing fantastic. Uh, Dwayne Casey, coach of the year candidate. I think this was the year they really thought they were going to put it together, but um, they find themselves uh, one more game from elimination. So Yeah, do you think they get swept? Um. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, I I, I do. Yeah. I think the in the past they've kind of gotten defeated and then let that carry on. Right. So I I wouldn't be surprised if they get swept. I also wouldn't be surprised if if they won a game, but I guess for the sake of good radio, uh, I'll, I'll say they win. They win one. Okay. Uh, I'll say they yeah, win no. the next game. Makes sense. I mean. They're definitely good enough to win on the road. Um, they just got to put it all together. You know what I mean? Yeah. But looking looking at the last semifinal, it's the two-seed Boston versus the three-seed Philadelphia. Boston leads the series 3-0, which is a huge surprise. And then Boston has a, a net rating of plus 9.6. Yeah, and Boston is just, like I mentioned earlier about Brad Stevens, their game plan uh, has been fantastic of shutting down Ben Simmons. Like you said, it's a testament to um, Brad Stevens' coaching and also the respect for Simmons that they have. He's only averaging 12 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. Uh, still shooting 48% from the field, but did have that one-point game. Um, and like you said about him and Donovan Mitchell, he's he's only just a rookie. But um, I don't really think anyone saw this coming. After the first-round series, people were saying, oh, Philadelphia is going to go to the finals, all this stuff. And um, like Toronto, they find themselves in a 3-0 to hole, uh, game four in Boston. Uh, so we'll see how this one plays out. But another guy that I have to mention, Jason Tatum, has scored over 20 points in his last five games. Another guy who's a rookie who's making a huge impact. Um, like I believe I mentioned earlier, he's turned into their, their real go-to scorer without Kyrie without Kyrie there and um, I think it's an interesting matchup because looking back in hindsight Philadelphia is over there they they traded up they traded up to that number one spot to get Markel Fultz Boston traded down to get Tatum and uh, Tatum's out here scoring 20 20 points a game every outing and Markel Fultz is uh, sitting on the bench so that's just a in hindsight interesting to uh, look at yeah I, I really like Brad Stevens and they've he's really pinpointed what makes Philadelphia go. 
he's fine and what he said is he's fine with everybody else scoring mm-hmm. but as long as you shut down Ben Simmons Philadelphia is not going to win right. and they've really identified uh Simmons as as the engine that that runs the team and I thought that's just phenomenal from from Brad Stevens and the whole Celtics coaching staff and it's that's really great to notice but um we'll we'll see if if Simmons kind of comes back he looked a little tentative uh, in these first three games, yeah. So maybe he'll pick it up. He'll. They're down three zero. They they really have nothing to lose at this point. Right. So he's just got to go in and right. And, Lay it on line and yeah. really look to score. I think he was criticized uh, for for passing a little too much, mm-hmm. but um, I th- I think he'll come back. He'll have a good game. I I don't think Philadelphia gets swept. And and th- speaking of Philadelphia, Embiid has played really well. Yeah. But I think that's part of that's fed into the game plan a little bit of Stevens. Right. He's averaged 24 points, 15 rebounds, 4 assists. Yeah. And he's been a good player. Yeah. Like you mentioned, you you don't think they're going to get the sweep, but um, Boston would probably really benefit if they do get the sweep uh, to try to get guys a little more rest, get them healthy. Like Jalen Brown um, mentioned getting, getting hurt in Game 7. He's kind of been struggling with, um, with that injury a little bit. So getting him back and healthy would definitely – Definitely be beneficial for them moving on to the um, uh, conference finals. Um, so, yeah, they would really benefit for, if they could get that sweep in the next game. Also with the Celtics is Marcus Smart's return has been huge. Yep. Looking at his numbers, he's not really efficient, but he does all the things that, that you can't measure in the box score. Right. Uh, looking at his, his point totals, it's a little under 10 points per game. He's shooting 21% from the three. 32% from the field. <laughs> okay, those numbers are absolutely atrocious. But it <laughs> but it's it's the small things and I think they really they really need Marcus Smart out there uh, with his toughness. I think one of the first plays he had when he when he came back was diving at, at half court for a loose ball mm-hmm. amongst three or four other players and he came up with that loose ball and and that's really what the team needs. Yeah, so um you got anything else for this series? But you like so we like Boston versus um, Cleveland, both up three zero. Yeah, and then uh, Golden State versus Houston. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. If if it's Cleveland, Boston, I'm I'm learning from my mistakes. I like Cleveland too. Uh, I'll go with LeBron if we're allowed to update from our original forecast yeah. in the Western Conference. I I always had the Golden State Warriors winning, and I think although Steph Curry in the past hasn't played well coming back from an injury. In the playoffs, uh, I think this this year is a little bit different. They approached his rehab differently, and I think he got the um, enough rest uh, and the amount of time to recover. Yeah. So you think it's gonna be four years in a row, Cleveland versus Golden State? Yeah, which would be which would be crazy because this season we talked about how it, it's so different. But right. then when you look at the end result, <laughs> it's Cleveland Golden yep. State again. <laughs> but yeah. I I don't think it would be even fair. Whoever comes out of the West. It's going to win. Uh, And I don't think, I think if it's not, it's, it'll probably be in five games. Yeah. That's, that's my prediction. Right. But we'll see. Um, Yeah. Anything, final comments, anything to say? Nope. That about wraps it up. I'm excited to see how uh, the rest of these series play out. Um, Definitely an exciting time. Games on left and right. New headlines every morning. So, I'm sure next episode we'll have a, a lot more to discuss, and uh, I'm excited. Yeah, and we're still figuring out how we're going to do this stuff over the summer. I'll be traveling a lot, yep. working camps. 
um, and, and Mike's working some stuff and working camps as well. So we'll try to figure something out. Um, after finals, hopefully I'll be writing a lot more. I think the next piece I'll look at is looking at uh, JJ Reddick's tracking numbers and like his distance run right. and breaking down his sets um, in Philadelphia versus the Clippers. Um, in the meantime, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Take a look at our website at take-charge-basketball.com or listen to us uh, on your favorite podcasting application. But uh, until next time, thank you very much and have a good day.